Now we turn to this morning's scripture reading. Today we continue our sermon series for the season of Advent and Christmas. And we're calling this sermon series, The House of the Lord. And each week of this series, we're talking about the many places that God has called home. Now we're sharing this series with our friends at the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church, a place that I was once made to feel very much at home. And this morning's message, this morning's good news is going to be brought to us by Pastor Vince Slocum of the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church. Until very recently, until he became Pastor Vince, Vince Slocum called Court Street United Methodist Church home. And we are so excited to hear from Pastor Vince again this morning. But before we do that, before we hear from Pastor Vince, this morning's scripture reading is going to be brought to us by another pastor, another clergy colleague who once called Court Street United Methodist Church home. Now today's scripture reading is going to be shared with us by Reverend Elisa Williams. Now Elisa Williams right now serves the Mount Clemens First United Methodist Church, but back in 2007 she came and spent the time here at Court Street as, as a deacon serving the United Methodist Church among us in this church family. It's good to hear her voice again and I hope that you'll be glad, be glad to see her face as well. Open your heart, listen for God's voice as Reverend Elisa Williams shares with us this morning's scripture reading. Good morning, friends. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Hear these words. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Back in high school, I was part of a five-man a cappella group called Bass Clef. Now keep in mind, this was back in the late 90s, the early 2000s, back when groups like the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and, and 98 Degrees were, were considered to be popular. Now, I, I need to point all these things out to you to, to help prepare you for what's about to come next. You see, that's me. <laughs> that gangly, anemic-looking train wreck holding up the wall in his Sunday best tank top there is, is me. Which means that that pose, that outfit, and that picture were all choices that I made in my senior year of high school. And it, and it actually bears just a little bit more consideration. You see, I showed up that morning 
wearing tearaways and a t-shirt. Which means that at some point in the proceedings, I looked at myself in the mirror and said, you know what this picture really needs, what's really gonna put this over the top is, is just a little bit more pasty white skin. <laughs> now, one of the things that, that we used to do in, in my time with bass clef was that each of the guys in the group gave themselves a different boy band persona that we would introduce ourselves with, right? So we had, we had a bad boy of the group, we had a baby of the group, we had a nice guy of the group, and a goofball of, of the group, and, and then of course, then of course there was me. And so before every concert, we would introduce ourselves and each guy in the group would step forward and introduce themselves and share what their boy band persona was. Now, I was always the last one to introduce myself. And every single time it would come to me and I would pause and I would scan the room a little bit, start doing one of these with my head as I, as I looked around before stepping forward and saying, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, I give to you the eighth wonder of humankind, a man so dashing, so debonair, so handsome and charming, he makes Casanova look like Quasimodo. A man so devastatingly handsome that he makes Frank Sinatra look like William Hung. Husbands, hold on to your wives. Fathers, hang on to your daughters. I am Vincent Slocum and I am the good looking one of the group. <laughs> And at this point, I would have made laser-focused eye contact with a young lady in the front row before firing off one final, how you doing? <laughs> I did that every single time that I introduced myself, right? That became a routine. I became known for that introduction. I even actually developed a reputation for myself as a kind of hyper-confident ladies' man, and people ate it up, <laughs> right? As you can imagine, I, as a teenage boy, loved every minute of their, of their attention. Right? I had swagger for days, and I could not get enough of it. <laughs> now this morning, we, we continue our survey of the many places that God has called home with a reading from the book of Jeremiah. You see, after decades of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelites finally found their way into the promised land. But even after centuries of 
struggle and, and challenge, the Israelites looked around and still couldn't help but feel like the little kid on the playground, surrounded as they were by all of these great and mighty empires, kingdoms like Babylon and Assyria, the Hittites and, and the Egyptians. They, they couldn't help but feel like, like the little kid on, on the playground. And and so the Israelites came to God and said, you know, God, that's when, when all these other nations go to worship their gods, right? They're, they're doing it in, in great monuments. They're going into huge temples and towering ziggurats to, to worship their gods. And, and yet we've still got you here in this, in this rinky-dink tent, you know, this, this stank, musty old tabernacle. You know, people, God, people are starting to, to stop and stare. People are starting to look and, and laugh. You know, you should, you should really let us build you a proper house, right? No one's ever going to take us seriously. No one's ever going to take you seriously unless you let us build you a house that, that matches your glory and, and majesty, and at first, God was resistant to the idea, but, but eventually, after years and years of nagging, he finally gave in and said, you know what, if you have to, if you absolutely have to build me this house, then, then go ahead, fine. And so the Israelites built a majestic temple as, as the house to God right in the center of the holy city of Jerusalem and they shipped in all of these materials rare and wealthy materials from from all of these other nations and and once it was completed, they couldn't get enough of it and and really that's when the Israelites started to strut. Right? And they started doing one of these with their heads as they looked around and, and said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, gaze in wonder at the great and mighty people of the nations of Judah and Israel, next door neighbors to God. They said, look at the majesty the wonder and awesomeness of this great house that we have built to house the great and living God Almighty. They said, nations of the world, you can huff and you can puff, but you are not going to blow this house down. You may be big and bad, but our God will never let you destroy this great house that we have built for him. And so for hundreds of years, the Israelites strutted around like that until finally the unthinkable happened. An army from Babylon came marching over the horizon and proceeded to trample the holy city of Jerusalem, burned the temple to the ground, and marched the people of Judah away in chains to live in exile in Babylon. And of 
course, God had been warning them for years that this was coming through the words of his prophets. He had been warning the Israelites, stop strutting around crowing about the greatness of this house that you have built for me, as though that somehow makes you invincible, as though I am somehow obligated to save you when things go badly, just because you have built me this house. He says, let me be clear, my glory is so magnificent that you could not ever possibly build anything to match it. What could you build me that is greater than all of creation? He said, this great house that you have built has absolutely nothing to do with my glory or the strength of our relationship and everything to do with your own fragile egos. And I promise you that it will all come crashing down around you if you don't stop. He said, if our relationship requires that we have this temple to prove it, then our relationship really was not built on all that much to begin with. Then eventually it will all end. And so in today's reading, the Israelites find themselves in exile in Babylon. And in this morning's reading, God sends them a message of hope. He says, you know, I know that you're hurting right now. I know that right now you feel about as broken and as beat down as you can possibly be. But I promise you that this will all pass. This is all going to end. He says that a day is coming in which I will set all things to right. A day is coming in which I will write my law and my love on each and every single human heart. And you will never feel the need to go looking for me ever again. Because he says that in that day, my glory will no longer resound in clouds of fire and in thrones of sapphire. My glory will no longer dwell in dusty tabernacles or walls of stone. Instead, every single human soul will magnify my glory and sing it out to the world. And we will never be separated from one another ever again. Now, it shouldn't come as, as any surprise to, to you, although it certainly did come as a surprise to me, that, that after I graduated from, from high school, I, I fell into a bit of a slump. It turns out that when most of your confidence is, is built around people cheering and, and applauding and 
and clapping every time you, you get up on the stage, then, then your confidence really isn't built on all that much to begin with, right? And, and I fell into, into kind of a personal darkness. And, and I started to look at myself and think, oh my gosh, you know, did I peak in high school, right? Is it all downhill from here? It was a difficult time for me. But it was an important time, right? It was a time that taught me the difference between blind egotism and humble confidence. You see, blind egotism says that I'm great. I'm doing great. And I know that I'm doing great because everyone else keeps telling me. That, that I'm doing great, as opposed to humble confidence, which says, you know, I did the best that I could, and some things I did really well, and, and some things I did a little poorly, and, and maybe could do a little better at in the future, but, but I tried as hard as I could, and, and, that's, and that's okay. Now, I can tell you, I am absolutely fantastic Blind egotism. I am great at it. And, and I am getting better with each passing day at humble confidence. In fact, it's a lesson that 2020 continues to teach me even to this day. You see, I thought that my faith was absolutely unshakable until the coronavirus pandemic drove us away from our sanctuaries and in-person worship services. And I came to find as the weeks passed, the cup of my spirit became harder and harder to fill with each passing week. I even found that some weeks I had trouble even filling it at all. I thought that I was absolutely up to being a pastor and stepping into the pulpit. I thought that that was going to be a breeze until I spent 20 successive Sundays preaching sermons and offering liturgy to great empty rooms, staring at the dim glow of my own face on my tablet screen. 2020 has been hard and 2020 has demanded every single lesson of humble confidence that I have ever learned in my life. But this morning I have hope. This morning I have hope in remembering that even in the most difficult weeks, even in those weeks in which my cup is at its hardest to fill and it does not get filled at all, those weeks in which I feel at my absolute lowest, my most beaten and broken down, I have hope in knowing that the God of infinite glory and the God of infinite majesty and wonder would choose to take a form as lowly and humble as my own human form, come down to earth and endure 
the unimaginable pain of death on the cross, all in an effort to make a heart as broken, as vulnerable, and as fragile as my own, his home. In order that we should never be apart. And yeah, that's not too bad. Will you play with me this morning? Gracious and loving God, we thank you that your love resounds so powerfully, that you that your confidence in glory is so great that you would choose to make a lonely heart such as our own, your home, that you would choose to walk with us on this our vulnerable and broken walk, to stay with us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to never abandon us, even in those times in which we fail to see you. But we ask this morning that you make that a closer walk. Continue to fill our hearts and strengthen us in the days to come so that we may always come to see the ways that you are with us and within us. Amen.